0: Hey, hey! What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode fifty-five of the Best Thing Podcast. We have a great conversation coming up with Jeff Sutphin. If that name sounds familiar, it is. You've seen this guy host so many different game shows on television. This conversation is fantastic. Hey stop living on autopilot my book is out it is doing extremely well the feedback has been fascinating it's been amazing if you want to buy that book right now just go into the show notes and you can click buy if you want to try it out for a test drive first guess what you can download chapter one immediately the link is there also Again, the feedback so far for Stop Living on Autopilot has been amazing. Thank you for all of you who have reached out and and shared your kind words about it. Hey, the best thing podcast, this bad boy is exploding. Of course, we've been doing extremely well internationally for a long time. And now we are hitting the charts in the United States where I live. We're coming up high on that self-improvement category. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't shared this podcast with someone just yet, share it with them. If you haven't reviewed it just yet, write a short review, give it five stars. Subscribe if you haven't hit that subscribe button. Last but not least, I'd love to hear from you. You can you can text message me anytime at 310-564-7124. Just say what's up. Say hello. Give me a guest suggestion. Whatever you want. I'd love to hear from you, except don't invite me into any like money schemes and stuff like that. Don't don't want to be involved in that. All right. Without further ado, let's get into episode fifty five of the best thing.
1: Welcome to the best thing podcast, where we talk to thought leaders, creatives, authors and entrepreneurs about how sometimes the best thing to happen to you is the most unexpected. Welcome your host, Antonio Neves.
0: Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to the Best Thing Podcast, where I talk to people about the best thing to happen to them that doesn't include the traditional markers of success. I'm your host, Antonio Neves. I'm the author of Stop Living on Autopilot. I'm a speaker, and I'm a coach. Each week, I bring on a new guest who has a powerful story to tell that will motivate, inspire, and help you see life through a new lens. This week's guest is someone I first met way back in 2002 in New York City when we both happened to find our way co-hosting the hit Nickelodeon show You Pick Live, and he has been one of my closest friends ever since. Listen, Jeff Sutphin has done nearly everything in the television business, from hosting television game shows to producing high-profile television shows and interviewing big-name celebrities and athletes. Jeff is like a Swiss army knife. He can do everything. Currently, Jeff is putting his childlike behavior to good use, serving as the executive producer and showrunner on Ryan's Mystery Playdate that broadcast on Nickelodeon. Prior to this, Jeff accidentally became a game show host where he hosted on Nickelodeon's Figure It Out, served as a producer and host for the Daytime Emmy nominated Brain Surge, and hosted ABC's 101 Ways to Leave, a game show. Jeff Sutfin, welcome to the best thing.
1: Antonio Nevs, thank you for having me. I hope I'm saying that right. Is it Antonio? I, I think you that- got it right. I think- <laughs>
0: I think you got it right. After all these years, 18, 19 years, whatever, (laughs) of knowing one another. By the way, all the stuff I just mentioned in the introduction, is all that true?
1: 100% true. true. Uh, I'm also also a part-time superhero.
0: Also a part-time superhero. So tell me, growing up in a town called Mayfield, New York, is it pretty much par for the course? People have experiences and careers uh, like you do, the people that you grew up with?
1: No, definitely not uh you know let me i'm gonna back up just for two seconds i'm It's like a kid in a candy shop right now being asked to be on your your podcast, and I mean that in all seriousness. I'm not saying that because we're close friends. I just love i any chance I get to talk to you, I always feel like I have a great time when I get off the phone with you or when we're catching up i always I just feel really great about myself and about everything. You just have a great outlook and. I was learning a lot from you, so I'm really excited to have this. And I, I really hope oh, I'm going to be honest with you. Like uh, I think we're going to go in a little different direction here with this this episode. <laughs> this <laughs> is Just because we're be- close friends, I, I'm not going to, you know. Look, I'll answer all your questions. I'll tell you what you want to hear. But uh, you know everything about me. So anyway, yes. Yeah, so back back to your question. Uh, yeah, I know everything
0: about you, but not everything. But I am curious because you know we're both small town dudes, and yeah. like. Did you need even know, coming from Mayfield, New York, and maybe you can even paint a picture for people what Mayfield, New York sure. is like that, it was possible for you to find your way to, to New York City and Los Angeles and do what you're doing today?
1: Not necessarily. I mean, you know, to paint your picture, Mayfield, New York was small town USA, upstate New York, uh, predominantly farmland. My, you know, public high school, one, the only public high school in town, so it wasn't like half- people went over here and half people went over there. It was, you know, my graduating class was 50. Whoa. Uh, yeah. So it, it was very small. You knew everybody. You know, my high school was grade seven. You know, you had kindergarten through six and grade seven through 12. You knew everybody in the school. If you farted in class, by the time the period was out, everybody knew about it. Uh, that's a true story. At the, <laughs> Heather Frisch farted in eighth grade uh, Spanish class. And by the time the bell rang, I remember walking. I'm not kidding you. We walked out into the hall and some kid walked by and goes, hey, Heather, I heard you farted in class. And I was like, I mean, over the course of 30 minutes like that news spread through the school. So um, I hope hope uh, you're not listening,
0: Heather. I'm sorry, Heather, if you're listening.
1: Sorry, Uh, But no, anyway, so real small town USA. And it was, um, you know, pretty much a lot of the families there were, hey, we went to Mayfield, we met in Mayfield, we had, we got married, we had kids, now our kids are in Mayfield. So it wasn't necessarily, you know, not that it was this stifling environment of like, you can't, you know, be what you want to be and grow up and get out of town because there's plenty of people that have gotten out of town. But, and, you know, and not that I grew up thinking like, oh, this isn't for me. I got to get out of here. This place is, you know, keeping me down. But uh, yeah, I just it was a good place to grow up. You know, got to see the stars at night and uh, fresh air all the time. Plenty of snow.
0: Little cross country skiing, I'm pretty sure in your background. Tell me this, though. So there, here's something that and it's curious thinking about the upbringing that you had where my hunches, a lot of people kind of looked. Similar is it fair to say there wasn't a crazy amount of diversity in Mayfield?
1: Yeah, we had one and a half black people in my uh, high
0: school. (laughs) One and a half, exactly. But one (laughs) thing, one thing I've always been blown away by you from the time that I met you, and frankly, I've learned so much from you in this regard is how you have this unique gift, man, of seriously being able to connect with anyone. Early in our Nickelodeon days, you know, one of the jobs that we had, we had to prep a lot of the celebrities that came on our show. And these are like big name celebrities. You know, yeah, we had some B-list and some, some D-list celebrities as well, but we had some big name celebrities. And I was always in amazement of, A, how you immediately not only put that celebrity at ease, whether it's Jack Black or Will Ferrell or someone else, but also their handlers. You also put their handlers at ease because the men and women they came in, came in with were really hard to deal with at times with bad attitudes, negative, not always treating us the best. So I'm just curious, long-winded question to mm-hmm. get to your approach to connecting with people, even strangers, and even being able to
1: immediately put them at ease. Man, that's a good question. I don't think I've ever been asked that. I, you know, I think my thing was always, uh, I didn't, while I had admiration for them, uh, and I loved, I was fans of the people, I never kind of put them on that pedestal. I you know, viewed it as Hey, you're here helping us out. You're here on the job. I'm here on the job. We're both working. We're both professionals. Let's, you know, let's approach it that way. And it was also kind of like, my thing was, you know, I know it's such a cop out answer, but like, I would talk to people the way I'd want them to talk to me. Like, I don't need to come in and be like, Oh my gosh, ah," you know, and, and, and gas them up. I was just like, Hey, look, here's what we're doing. And I feel like, uh, you know, to, to take that one step further, that's also been my approach when we were talking with the kids in the audience and, you know, working at Nickelodeon, obviously that's our, our demographic. And so I always, you know, that's one thing that people have commented on is like, Oh, you're always so good with the kids. And my thing is, is like, I treat them like they're our peers. Like, I think if you treat everybody the same, regardless of their age, their profession, their demographic, you know, race, I I just, if if we're all the same, man, (laughs) So I think that was my thing, you know, the reality of it is like, I might not have a ton I can relate to you with in terms of our life worlds and backgrounds. I might, I might not, but you know what? I can still talk to you like we're all on the same level. And I think that that's always kind of been my approach with anything. You look, I I talk to my kids the same way I, I would talk to you. You've heard it. You've been over at the house. You know what it's like. Yeah, I've heard
0: the expletives that you've called them. And, uh,
1: <laughs> they've grown up real fast around here, Antonio.
0: They've, they've grown up fast. No, I haven't heard him say any expletives at his kids. And maybe this gets back into your, your upbringing as well. Uh, I think a lot of people, especially during our Nickelodeon days, but even in the work that you've done over the years, I talk a lot about you, of course, being on camera. If someone Googles your name, they're going to see all the major shows you've been on, et cetera. They can go to your Wikipedia page. Uh, but also something. I have a
1: Wikipedia page.
0: You have a Wikipedia page. Uh, and but something interesting about you as well, I think is really unique in the television industry that we both operated in. You far longer than I have is that you're one of the rare people that have worked in front of the camera, but also behind the camera as well. Like even during our Nickelodeon days, a lot of people <laughs> didn't know that they may see us on TV from five to seven p.m., but they didn't know before the show I was writing cue cards and you were doing other types of work to get things ready. So I'm just curious about your willingness that I always saw to get your hands dirty. It seemed like nothing for you and the way you approach life is nothing is beneath you. Like I feel like in some jobs, people always treat the there's subordinates, if you will a certain way. And I've never saw you treat anything like it was beneath you. You were Very rarely, not willing to ask someone to do something that you wouldn't do yourself.
1: That's the key word right there. I think that that has always been my approach on everything. And even today, I'll never ask you to do something I wouldn't do myself. And I would use that as a father. I use that in the workplace. Uh, I used it, you know, when I was a host, it doesn't matter. You know, if I can, if I can get my own water, I'm going to get my own. If I have time to get, I'm not just going to be like, hey, you get me a water. And that's not to say I'm stubborn I need to be, you know, I'm so proud and I need to be self-sufficient. But like, I think there is a value in that. And you're right. I was never, even to this day, you know, I mean, I've said it in years, in recent years when I wasn't working, I've said to my wife, I'm like, I'm not above working at Home Depot, I mean, I'll go pick up a shift over there if, if that's what it takes. I've never looked at it like, oh, I, you, you rise to a certain level of status. And once you're there, you never have to look back. And it also, I think the other big part of it is, and I feel, I think you're the same way. We're doing something we love. So like, well, what's the big deal? Like, if it means I got to get down on my hands and knees and help, you know, paint that sign. Like, I like painting. I like doing this. It's all going to be for the greater good. It's going to, you know, come out. It's going to help move everything along. Like, why not? You know? So I think that's important too, is, you know, doing something that you like. So when it, it does come time where you're like, hey, I got to double down and, and get through this, then it is. So, and I, I think it also helps, with morale, whether again, whether I'm a as a father, I can say, hey, kids, let's go do this. Like they'll they'll do it with me, knowing full well that I'll do it with me. When I was, you mentioned earlier, when I was uh, cross country skiing, that was my my coach. You know, he said, okay, today for practice, we're going to run six miles. We're going to come back and we're going to hit a circuit in the weight room. And we'll finish off with a deck of cards. Well, guess what? He ran every step of that six miles. He hit the circuits and he did every deck, every card in that deck with us. And I think that was something that at the time I was like, yeah, whatever. But like looking back on it now, I go, he set that example, not only with words, with actions. And I think that's a part of it too.
0: Yeah, that's huge, man. And I want to just shift gears a little bit with this. And you talked about doing something that we love and what a gift it is to actually do something that you love. But I think what a lot of people don't understand and get specifically as it relates to the television industry. And these are things that you and I have talked about over the course of our friendship is the slow periods. Uh, we we happen to choose professions in the television industry where you might work for three months, then you might have nine months when not a lot happens. But people assume that you're always working. That's whether you're in front of the camera or behind the camera. And I'm curious for you. Yeah,
1: and, and let's, let's, let's punctuate on that. When you're not working, you're not collecting a paycheck. That's the most important part of that statement. So, yeah, you just work for three months. You have nine months off. Like, oh, great vacation. No, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's figuring out how to weather the storm <laughs> yeah. to get to the storm.
0: But, but back you mentioned you you're not you know, you'd work at Home Depot. And, and listen, I've had those jobs working at Kmart in different places. I'm curious about your, just your mindset during, quote unquote, slow periods like you. you it's not like no one forced you into this Industry where it can be fickle, when you can be super, super hot. I know you've had periods in your life when you were freaking hot, different periods when we both know things can be extremely slow. No fault of your own, by the way. To be clear, no fault of your own.
1: What allowed well, that's that's that's
0: really what I want to talk to right
1: there is when you say no fault of your own. Where's my mindset? My mindset is
0: I asked the questions here, Jeff. Uh, so hey,
1: listen. Brevity's never been my strong suit. You know that. Nips. Me
0: neither. So I guess what I'm, what I'm getting to you, what you're about to answer anyways, dude, is what allows you to persevere during those times when it's slow, when you do have a wife, when you do have kids, you have a mortgage.
1: Yeah. Um, again, I think it probably comes back to the love and desire to keep doing what I love doing. And you mentioned earlier I had I've had I've had this career that has been very fortunate. I, I went to school for production. I knew that I wanted to work in TV coming out of high school. I went to school, I studied that, I learned that. I came right out of school immediately into the workforce, worked my way up, you know, behind the camera, loving all the different angles and finding all the different things. And you said it yourself, accidentally became a game show host. That that's true. I never set out to say I'm gonna be a host, I'm gonna host game shows. Like that happened. That was a happy accident. All the while, I continued to produce knowing that, hey, that train pulls out of the station someday. You hope it doesn't. You hope that you can continue going on and have a successful career like, you know, Jeff Probst or, you know, and and host things forever. But, you know, I was realistic and I always knew in the back of my head, like that well will go dry. But, you know, what, what keeps, you know, it's like, like you said, yeah, I was the flavor of the month. There was a, a period there where I was like brain surge, 101 ways. To, you know, there was a 5 5-year five period where I was hosting things left and right and and making a really comfortable living doing it and you know, was able to spend a lot of time with the family and when that went south and everything, you know, the industry changed and it was about, you know, having big-time celebrity hosts. I couldn't compete with that. And luckily I'd continued to produce and I never let that go and that, that was always my first love. People were always like, "Well, yeah." I was like, "No." Like I know producing. I'm faking being on <laughs> camera. Good. What I really know is behind the cameras. That's my, you know, my first love right there. But you hit on something where, man, when you have that low point, that is hard because you go, ah, we'll get through it. And you, you take the first few weeks. You're like, this is nice. It's a little bit of time off. I, I deserve it. And then you start going, OK, let's buckle down. Let's find that job. And then you're like, OK, no one's answering my emails or so like, wow, there's nothing out there. And when you get like all of a sudden, like two months in, you start doing that. You start second guessing yourself. You start saying like, am I not, do I not know what I'm talking about? Am I not as good as I think I am? Um, Am I difficult to work with? Is there a word around town that people don't want to work with me? And that's the hard thing. Like you've got to be able to fight through that and battle through that and be confident in who you are and what you do. And I'll be honest. And again, I'm not just saying this. I'd say it to anybody there. I mean, how many times have you and I been on the phone conversation and we've had this conversation about how it's got it slow. And every single time it ends with you saying to me, Jeff, you chose this. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's, the, that's the straight up. It's like, yeah, you're right. You're right. And it reminds me, it does. It reminds me that, hey, I did choose this. Why did I choose? Because I love it. So like, don't, you know, Don't give up. Just keep
0: pushing. One thing I I have to remind myself whenever I'm about to complain, I chose this. And listen, you and I have had some conversations over the years when we've seen that nest egg, that that savings account that we build up slowly start to, to go down. right? And then, of course, it's the weird. It's like, listen, I've never done like crazy drugs like crack or cocaine. I've never done them. But the industry, I think, can be like that. You get this hit, right? You're hot for a moment, then it goes away, and you're just flailing. And then you see all the the, the savings go away, et cetera. And you're like, "What? Am I am I crazy? It must be. It must be like what's it called when you come off of drugs? What's that called? Withdrawal. But yeah, it's kind of like withdrawal because you're so used to doing something you love, then it goes away. Just
1: I said that really fast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're like, I <laughs> I know this. I'm like, where's this conversation uh, no. going? Uh, but but on that. I, I, this is a bit on that. Something I saw you do over the course of your career, which I've always been really impressed with, is, of course, the television industry is one of you get an agent, you get a manager, you have this quote unquote representation, things that I've had over the course of my life. I've had big ones, I've had small ones, I've had none. One thing I've repeatedly seen you to be willing to do over the course of your life, though at times you've had the major agencies, at times you, you chose not to go that direction, but well, one thing I always saw you do, Jeff, was always still to be willing to advocate for yourself. And what I mean by yeah. that is you didn't necessarily always wait for the agent or the manager to do something. And just, again, another long-winded question is, I think a secret that a lot of people know don't know about the entertainment industry is, at least in my experience, many times the jobs that I got when I was on TV, I brought them to yeah. my manager. I brought them to my sure. agent. So I'm curious about you always being willing and to advocate for yourself and not just leave it in someone else's hand in this industry?
1: You have to. What I learned pretty early on was no one cares about your career more than you. You can have an agent, a manager, a team, everyone stand behind you go, we love what you do. You're so talented. We're going to do this and we're going to build a brand and we're going to blah, blah, blah. I've been, you know, you watch, I'm going to date myself, but you know, you watch the HBO show Entourage where he walks in and he sits down at the conference room table with the entire agency wrapped around the table. It's like, here's someone from the literary department. Here's someone from the movie department. Here, so I've been in those meetings. I've had that smoke blowing up my ass. And at the end of the day, I was just like, yeah, that's. I hear what you're saying, and I love it. And if you can deliver on a fraction of that, it'll be wonderful. And you know, it's uh, whether they mean it or not. At the end of the day, it really comes down to. I I got to a point towards the tail end of uh you know things that i just said i'm not waiting like i'll pick i'm gonna pick up the phone i know the exec producers that are running these shows i know the ex- i know who's making this pilot i have a really sh- i'm calling them myself and that hey, that's scary? You know, I I know that. that scary well it, it was not scary i knew i was going to be ruffling feathers but my response to those feathers being ruffled was were you going to do it <laughs> did you do it and if you'd have it, when were you going to do it? Because I've been asking for, you know, like, so you get paid based on my, my working. And if I'm not working, you're not getting paid. So why wouldn't you make that call? So I had no problem doing it. So I wasn't necessarily scared. I, like I said, I knew it was going to ruffle the feathers. And if it did, so what, you know, cause the reality of it, like you said, if I got the job, I still was going to turn around to that person and go, Hey, here's 10% of it, negotiate the deal. Like I still have those people in play. So it was fine. Yeah,
0: I find that fascinating. By the way, I remember my first experience with a major agency and I went to that conference room and I was sitting there waiting for folks to show up and I was expecting what you expected. And a woman walked in and I smiled and was really so excited. And she said, oh, we're going to have to reschedule your meeting. And uh, (laughs) it it was just a heartbreak. It was a great moment in my life.
1: And she says, and we're going to need that water bottle back.
0: Uh, uh. <laughs> but no, just to go back and I had to get that out. But just to go back on what you said, yeah. what a powerful statement. I'm not waiting. And I think a lot of people listening to this podcast and there are times in my life that I've waited and we have to be willing to take the steering wheel ourselves. Um, before we get to the question of the best thing we're going to get into in a quick second, I'm going to do the most aggressive Speed. Yeah. No, I'm going to do the most aggressive pivot ever from what we've been talking about because right. I'm more curious about it. I don't, know, I don't know if the listeners will be, but it's my show. Jeff, something interesting happened to you a few years back. My vasectomy? The, the vasectomy, uh, but, also, <laughs> <laughs> but also you started making things with your hands in your garage. Like For me, I knew yeah. something was going on. There's like a saw I see. And I, I'm asking this question because I think I see a saw behind you right now. And again, this is a harsh pivot yeah. But I wanna ask sure. Jess, by the way, so you guys know, can straight up make anything from cabinets to tables <laughs> to I've seen like he's made amazing things where TVs pop out of chests, you know, you push a button and they just pop up. And they, I've been just blown away seriously by what you've been able to build with your Thank hands. You. And I'm curious what spawned that? Was it some of that downtime when you didn't have like what what led to that?
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. There was, you know, some downtime, Uh, even when things were good. Like I said, if I was hosting things, you know, I might work for two months, make a nice chunk of money. And then all of a sudden I had six months off while we were waiting to see if the season was getting picked up. I have an art background. I studied, uh, you know, all through high school and I have a graphics art uh, minor from college. And so, you know, doing, you know, drawing or all that stuff was always something I loved doing. And then I got to a point where I was, standing in my house is like, you know what look good right there, a desk. And it's like, but yeah, I can't go find a desk that's gonna fit right in that area. I was like, Oh, let me build one. And that was really kind of it was like, ah, see what I can do. Um, you know, uh so that was really the onset of it is, you know, and again becoming a homeowner and not I I had no formal training in you know what tools to use and stuff like that and luckily I had some uh neighbors that were very handy and could guide me and say like oh yeah you should you know he had tools I could borrow until I could buy my own or and you go like hey yeah make this do this and so I kind of you know would rough draw what I wanted to do um still awful with a tape measure <laughs> Nothing like building a desk and realizing it doesn't fit in that area that you just spent three months <laughs> building a desk. Uh, but yeah, that was really the onset of it. And now um, it's gotten to a point where, you know, I mean, my wife, says, oh, you should build these and sell these. I'm like, no, nah, I don't. That's not. I build it for us. And I don't need it to be a job, you know, so I, I, have, to, I have to ask briefly, though,
0: the, what the, can you tell me about the level of fulfillment? Like when you finish something like I'm always encouraging people to finish something. I don't care if it's a puzzle, if it's a small model house, if it happens to be that home desk you make for your crib, but I'm I'm guessing it provides you with something.
1: Sure. Especially because it's stuff that's in our own home. So, you know, like every time I go into the bathroom and I pull that barn door closed, I'm like, I made that door. You know, I walk into our kitchen and I sit down at our island, you know, butcher block, huge countertop to eat my breakfast. I'm like, I made this. So, I mean, that's something that is, is awesome. And I, to, to your point of like finishing, yes, finishing is, is key. But what's important about that is you don't have to finish it in one day. Uh, you know, be patient. And that is something that I learned, especially with building stuff. You know, I was always so quick to like paint something or stain it and go, all right, I'm going to gonna gonna cut this up now. And it's like, ah, oh, the paint didn't dry. Now I just chipped that. And I got, it's like, there's a process. There's an order of operation. Be patient. And some of that time isn't even necessarily order of operation. It's going, hey, the kids need something. I got to put this down for a second because if I that would be like, oh, I just need five more minutes when I really need five more hours. And because I rush a cut, I'm like, damn it, I cut that too short. Now I got to start over. So I think that's a big part of it. Be patient. It doesn't need to be finished by today as long as you finish it.
0: ooh that's powerful. It doesn't have to be finished in one day. Makes me think about my book, man. It came out this year, but I think that's been a, some years in the works, man. So that's a good reminder for yeah. all of us. So let's, let's go to this question of the best thing where I talk to people about the best thing sure. that happened to them that would rarely appear on a resume or a bio. You know, a lot of people, when they think about the best thing, Jeff, think about getting married, having kids, buying a home, all great best things, but I love those sure, that, don't, they are, absolutely. that don't show up on the resume or the bio. So for you, what would you say is one of those, you know, quote unquote best things that has had a profound effect in your life?
1: It's a really good question, and honestly, since the time you started this podcast, uh, I've been thinking about that myself. Even before you asked me to be on it, which again, thank you so much for for having me on. Uh, it, it only took fifty plus episodes. <laughs> this is what we call the bottom of the barrel episode, listeners.
0: Uh, Antonio
1: has run out of ideas. He's like, "Oh, I'll just call Jeff." <laughs> um, so I apologize for all you listening. Uh, no, I, so here is the other thing too. I've noticed a lot of your uh, the other people you've interviewed. It, it's what doesn't seem like the best thing at the moment. It's this terrible, awful thing. And then, you know, in retrospect, it became this great thing because it sh- changed your path and it shifted your gear. Uh, so I was like, oh, how many of those have I had? And you're like, wow, I've had a lot of those. So this might not be the best answer, but I really have thought about this in great detail. And and what I've really concluded at is, I don't know necessarily think I've had a best moment versus best moments and I think those moments have been meeting people and establishing relationships you being a huge part of that you know I mean look at when we started you pick Live I mean honestly out of everybody that was on that show we still you and I both stay in touch with every single one of them because they were great relationships because that moment was you pick live but what came out of that moment were these great moments of here's, here's people that we really connect with both on a personal level, whether it be humor or just, you know, life, like, wow, I really think the way you think and and stuff like that. And, uh, so I have, you know, I've been so fortunate that, you know, when you're in high school, you don't, you're just like, yeah, these are my friends. Like we're going through college, I think is when I started to realize like, Hey, these are, these are people that I would like to spend more time with. And you you kind of almost, I was always, you had that like mental list of like, man, if I could put together the best crew, like you'd be in the best crew. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get into the work world and you realize like, oh, here are some more people. And you start reflecting back on all these other things. You're like, well, you know, there's one person I keep in touch with from high school because he's a great guy. And, you know, it's, I might only talk to him once or twice a year, but That's, you know, he's one of those moments. So I think my, my best moment, short answer, my best moment ever is the relationships that I've established and will hopefully continue to establish because they're great.
0: So people know, I mean, I'm not going to say names, but you're a pretty well-connected person in the the industry and beyond. I think one thing that's unique about you, especially as we, if I want to get stereotypical thinking about Hollywood. It seems like a world where people really Mm -hmm. exist, where we both live in LA, but where people kind of, what can you do for me? But I think it's fair to say that you've always taken a genuine approach with your relationship building. I've always saw you as, as a giver. But just, let's just talk about today, because we first met in the year 2002. Yeah. Today, you are the executive producer and a showrunner on a hit show on Nickelodeon that's called Ryan's Mystery Playdate. Yep. So if anyone Googles that, they'll see how massive this is in the background on that. For me, what's fascinating about you being the, the executive producer and showrunner on that today are the relationships that you've had with the head of the company that produces that, that you've known for how long Yeah. Like,
1: like, so that, you know, it, and again, it all comes back to the, those relationships. Because when we started You Pick Live, the president of Nickelodeon was a, a gentleman by the name of Albie Hecht. When he moved on and went on to be presidents of many other companies, we always stayed in touch because I thought what he was doing was great. And he valued what I brought to the table. And we, you know, we would connect over the years and, I'd say, hey, I'm looking for work, and he would bring me in and work on something. And now, here he is—you know—one of the founding members of of Pocket Watch and the the production company that's running Ryan's Mystery Playdate. And he brought me in, so he's like, hey, let's do this. And he—it was again—it was an awesome relationship. And you know, I stayed in touch with him over the years, not because like, oh, here's a guy who can get me work. I stayed in touch with him because it's like, oh, I like the way he thinks, I like the way he operates, I like the way he does business. I, I have a lot to learn from him, and on top of that, he's a good guy. And I've been so fortunate, honestly, in my career to have been able to meet with people that are like that. Cause you, you touched on it. You started to say it like people in Hollywood can be, what can you do for me? Or there's a very fake feeling of like, Hey, I'm, I'm here. I'm not, I'm on the scene. I'm doing this to just meet this person do this. It's like, I've never been like that. My thing was just like, Hey, are you, if I end up in a Turkish prison, could I pick up the phone and call you? <laughs> and, uh, you know, that, that's really, that's the litmus test, listeners. That's what you should ask yourself every time you're getting into a relationship. Would this person bail you out of a Turkish prison? Um. <laughs>
0: Tell me this. Tell me this. If you think about the relationships, because a lot of people listening to this are saying, you know what, I, I want to build relationships like that, where someone will get me out of a Turkish prison, prison. but more than anything, that, that person will pick up my call. So I'm curious, again, just your approach, even from early on in New York City to today, what your approach has been to, to make, help these people become your advocates, to maintain communication, to stay in touch, because... Yes, you, you reached a point where you could say at times, "Hey, I'm out of work. Do you have anything you're working on?" But my hunch is that wasn't what the only thing they heard from you over the Correct. years. So, what does your approach to relationship building
1: look like? I think everything we've talked about up up until this point: work hard, keep your head down, be willing to do anything. I think those things go a long way in, in any scenario, whether that be um, a, a personal relationship with you know someone you're you're trying to date or that you're married with. You know, it's like, hey, look, put in the work work hard, see everything through, finish things. Again, all, all the stuff we've talked about, but yeah. And then staying in touch. And especially for guys, guys aren't necessarily known for like picking up a phone and being like, Hey, what's going on? <laughs> or, you know, sending an email. Hey, just thinking about you. Love you, man. Like, you know, we don't necessarily communicate that way. And, and that's okay, I guess. But at the same time, I mean, like, look, I've sent you texts, you've sent me texts, miss you, buddy. You know, like, yeah. That's great. Like, I miss you too. You know, what I mean, it's like that. It's okay to have that. So, I do make a point to call those people and and email them and find out how they're doing, what's going on in their life. Not because I feel like, oh, I should keep up the relationship, because because I'm genuinely interested. You know, I like I said, I've been incredibly fortunate to work with some amazing people over my career. Uh, you know, Matt Kunitz, who was the creator of uh, Wipeout, and he was they he was one of the showrunners for fear factor in the 28 million seasons that they did. He was the one who hired me for 101 ways to leave a game show. And he's just a great guy. And it's so hard in this business to come across people that are not only good at what they do, but are good people. And he's one of those people. And it was immediate, like this kind of sense of like, that's a guy I admire. I like working with him. He's fun to work with. He's fun to watch work. I think that's another thing. Neil Mm. Sherman's at Nickelodeon. I, I marveled at watching him work. I mean,
0: he was having fun. He was
1: having fun, but he'd be on the phone answering an email and having a conversation with you at the same time. You're like, there's no way this guy's taking all this in. And he was like, buy, sell, make it green. Hey, you know what would be funny is that, at that point, cut that, do that. And you're like, oh my God, how is he doing it? And you were just like, wow. And like, those are the people, like I said, find those people and make an effort to keep those people in your life. And look at the people who are causing you problems and stress and go, Not that you have to cut them out and say, I'm done with you. Cause some people you need to work with some people you need to have in your life, but realize like, Hey, I'll, I'll compartmentalize if you will, and go, that person stays at work. I don't bring that home with me. And I, and I don't wish them ill will. I just, I don't have much to connect with that person on. So make, make room in in your life for those relationships and those people. And I'll tell you, I mean, I'm not the best at it either. You know what I mean? Like I, as I get older, I'm making, many more efforts to keep up the uh, the communication with these people. And I think maybe that's been one of the positives for COVID is that it has given us a little more time to go, wait, hey, I haven't talked to that person in a while. I'm going to pick up the phone and call, give them a call, find out what's going on. Yeah.
0: And I'll even add something. And I have just a couple more questions for you. And this is more of an observation about you. I think it's made a big difference in probably your relationships, though you didn't directly say it. And I can say this from a friend perspective is persistence. Yep. One thing about you is you, the, again, going back to building relationships, one thing people don't talk about enough is the power of follow up. Yeah. The the willingness, we, we think we send that one email, we send that text, we make that one phone call, and that person doesn't respond. We think that, oh, they don't like us or they don't care about us. We don't know what happened in their life. So you and I are super close friends. You know, you can call me anytime, you can say anything. But even in our friendship, one thing I feel really fortunate and blessed with is that you don't stop calling me. Right. You know, even when, if I haven't called you back because I've been on the road or busy with the kids or or vice versa, it's not like all of a sudden I get into my head like Jeff must be mad at me. Right, right. What did I do? <laughs> you know, like the, the power of persistence and the willingness to follow up. And there's something that I, if I know about you, you've always been willing to follow up.
1: Yeah. It, it, and like I said, it's it's important to but you know, to follow, especially like if if they're important to you, of course you would follow up. You know what I mean? It's like you wanna know. And there was I remember when you had your kids. I knew you were in the weeds. I didn't expect you to pick up the phone. I knew, but I have kids. I know what it's like to be, you know, ankle deep in diapers and going, "Oh my god, my head's going to explode." And you had twins for crying out loud. I can't even begin to imagine that. But it, it, I knew and it, it, you know, there's I can there's so many times like when when my father passed away, there was a close friend of mine, Justin Anthony, who we worked with at Nickelodeon and we've remained friends. And this was such a defining moment for our friendship was like, he called every day. And wow. even if I wasn't going to pick up, there was the, the message was left and it was good to just hear his voice and go, mm-hmm. ah, he's the, and, and that's something that like, he didn't have to do that. He could have just made the call like, Hey man, like here you're in a spot thinking about you. And that could have been it. And he could have been like, I, I made my call. But like, no, he, he he was persistent. He kept it up. And that was something that I really took from him in that relationship and and said, you know, wow, that was such a, that meant a lot to me. Even though I didn't talk to him, I heard his voice. And that's something that I try to do too. Like I said, when you were, you know, neck deep and in, in babies, I was just like, all right, you know what? I don't, I'm not expecting him to call me back, but I, I'll leave it, you know, Hey man, hang in there. Once you get past the first three years, it's smooth sailing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know,
0: that's a perfect place to end, but because it's my show, we're not going to. No. I have one more I have one more question I'm going to ask All you right. that's going to come out of left field. Okay. Uh, but everything you just shared, by the way, about friendships and really maintaining them, I think is powerful and is, is spot on. But again, this question is going to come out of left field, but I've always been curious about the value of this for you. One thing mm-hmm. I've always known about you, man, is even in our New York City days, it seemed like Jeff always had a clear separation of church and state. Sure. And for me, when we lived in New York City, you crossed the river every day to go live in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. You chose not to live. And I'm not going to be making something up in my head that doesn't exist, but you, not, you chose not to live in the city. Correct. Um, even though where you live was not like it was far away across the river in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Even in L.A. where you could live directly in Los Angeles, Hollywood, places close to where you film on a regular basis as a, as a host, as a producer, et cetera, you made a decision to live a little bit more outside of the city. I'm curious if A, has that been intentional in your life? And B, what has that added advantage been for you in doing that?
1: Yes, it's intentional. Going all the way back in the beginning of this, growing up in small town, you know, where I was on acres of land and tons of separation, being in such a close, confined hustle bustle area was just super crazy for me. I could handle it. It just I didn't want to handle it. I, I needed that. I need a little bit more. So even now, I'm in the suburbs of L. A. Or you know, like like you said, I lived in New Jersey, which is just the other side of the river. It was a ten minute bus ride. But and even though it's still densely populated, it wasn't nearly as crazy as the city. And and same with where I live now. You know, I'm outside of Hollywood. I can drive 30 minutes and get to Hollywood if that's what I need. But like, I need to have a little bit more space of not everything, that constant stimulus of like, go, 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 Like there needs to be a, a time when you can just uncork and not feel like you're part of that massive, you know, just stream of motion all the time. To the other point too, um, you know, that, that, as you said, the separation of church and state, You Pick Live taught me that. You pick live was very because we worked so hard. We were putting in, you know, you know, you were there. We were lockstep every day. That was a minimum, a minimum of a 12 hour day every day. We were there at eight in the morning or earlier, and we didn't leave till eight at night or later. And that wasn't because we weren't doing our work. That was every (laughs) minute of that 12 hours. There was moments, you've heard me say this before, and I know you were right there too. There were moments where I had to decide, man, I'm starving, but I also need to take a shit. Do I eat or take a shit? That's what it came down to. You had to make those decisions because you were so busy. I was like, I can, I can do one or the other and I got to make that choice. But that was what you pick live taught me is find those moments that you can take as your own and make them yours. And they could have been, for me, they were even as little as like the elevator ride to get from floor 37 down to, to the ground level. I can't, I can't, you know, there's no walkie communication because we're in this box. So no one can get cell phones aren't gonna ring. No one can talk to me here. Like this is my moment. If we have to stop on every floor, as much as that's inconvenient, I can't stress about that. That's not going to help me. It's not gonna make the elevator go faster. So I'm gonna take that. That's gonna be my 26 seconds as that elevator descends. No one's taking that from me. And that I that was something, like I said, that I learned from UPIC was to find the moments that are yours and take them. And the bus ride home to New Jersey to get outside the city. When I when my feet hit that bottom of the escalator and went out those revolving doors, work stayed. I didn't bring work home with me. And I didn't bring my personal stuff to work. And I think that has really been helpful. I mean, sometimes look, there's there's inevitable crossover for sure. But I mean, I think if you you know you do your best to try and keep keep the two separated, you're gonna do all right. <laughs> says says the guy who met his wife at work.
0: Yeah, uh, that's funny. And <laughs> just as just, just, you mentioned elevators, I want people to know continually pushing the button doesn't make you get to the floor faster. <laughs> if people are I curious here, if you hit it a uh,
1: hundred times, it'll go. It's like- not
0: the key thing I really just took out of what you just said, Jeff, was just because you can do something doesn't mean you can. You could have easily lived in Manhattan. You can live in uh, Hollywood if you wanted to, but you made a concerted choice, a, de- a decision that I'm not going to do that. I can, and I'm not going to. I think more people would benefit and enjoy life a lot more if they're willing to make a, yeah. a decision but like it that. Also,
1: it also goes to something you said earlier. like When you got to Hollywood, everyone's like, well, you should go to that party to be seen. Well, you should go out to that bar to be seen. We should." It's like, I've never been that guy. I wasn't that guy in high school. I wasn't that guy in college. I don't party. I don't drink. I don't want to. Well, then you're just, I met at my height of my hosting career. I met with a publicist, numerous publicists, because they were like, you need a publicist. You need a publicist. I'm like, yeah, I need another person on my team. Like I need an elbow on my forehead, but fine. I'll meet with publicists. I went in there like, well, what do you, we've seen this and we think you're great and da, 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 da. And I said, okay, here's what it is. First and foremost, I'm a husband and a father. Being home to tuck my kids into bed, that's priority number one. Hopefully, I can have dinner with them. Secondly, I have no desire to be a Kardashian. Thirdly, unless it makes sense for me, I don't want to go walk red carpets in movie premieres and do that stuff. I'm not going to go party. I'm not going to drink. And I don't really care to do that whole scene. You know how many of those publicists called me back? None of them. Zero zero. Because that's their world. That's what they do. That's how they did. And I was just like, that's not for me. And like you could sit here and go, yeah, it didn't work out for you. But at the same time, I never was doing that to be rich and famous. I was doing that because that was what I liked. And that was my paycheck. And that's what got me. And ends to a mean. If fame and fortune were a byproduct, fine. But I never set out to do that. I never cared about that. So whether it's living in the city or going to that party, be who you are and just go like, Hey, this is what's important to me and stick, you know, I, I can put my head to the pillow at the end of the night and be happy with who I am and how I operated. And that's what, that's what gets, gets you through. And I mean, again, this, this will come from a, the greatest moment, a relationship I had, I've been you know, Tom Kenny, the voice of SpongeBob. I have so much admiration for that guy. And I remember when he was on you pick and we were sitting on, on the, the radiator in the hallway talking and i had asked him a question and he just gave me this such a profound answer. And I was like, Oh my God, it all makes sense to me now. And, and it was, it was, it was a lot of the same stuff I'm saying to you now. And this was, you know, Hey, do you like doing what you do? Yes. Should you be paid more? Probably, but you're getting paid to do something you love. So, you know, and I was just like, yeah, you know, I mean, it was, you said it a lot better than I just said it. And, and here's the guy who's a voice of a billion dollar franchise. And he was just saying like, yeah, I'm okay with where I'm at. I know I should be paid more. I know I should be, you know, get these things better. But I told my agents, I love doing what I do. And if someone's going to pay me to do that, it's a win.
0: It's a straight up win, man. I appreciate everything. I appreciate everything you just shared. And what you're talking about, man, frankly, is what I think people don't know that you called. it. What you're doing is being an adult. I think a lot of people are unwilling to be an adult. They're unwilling to make decisions. They go with the whims of others, the winds, the industry, trends, et cetera. And you're saying, you know, I don't care which way the wind is blowing. This right here is what... I stand for. And most people are unwilling to do that. And I got to say, man, this has been a fun conversation for me. I, I can't wait for the, for the best thing podcast to become a, a series on video when we do this in person, which is going to be you and I just looking at each other laughing nonstop because I won't be able to get through the interview. Uh, but I want to say thank you, man. And I appreciate you for ages being a friend to for coming on, sharing this and all you've done to support me over the years, man. Uh, I, I appreciate it, man. Uh, this has been like a lot of fun
1: for me. Ah, Antonio I, I, I said it to begin with and I'll say it again it's been my pleasure since you launched this podcast I've wanted nothing more to come on here and and talk shop with you uh, you're a great friend I love you and I value every time we talk on the phone and I actually hang up the phone and I always get pissed because you're so good at interviewing you keep all the attention on me and I never get to find out what you're doing so uh, you're you're great at what you do and uh, and you're a great friend and I'm Very happy to have you in my life.
0: Yeah, man. Love you too. This should probably air in March 2022. So I'll let you know. (laughs) Right around Valentine's Day. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. Take care. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Antonio. Thanks for listening to the Best Thing Podcast with Antonio Nevs. Join us next week for more stories that'll help you see the world through a new lens. For more resources, go to theantonioneves.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, we ask that you share with a friend and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.